Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to Slamfire Radio for episode 303 British. For May 9th, 2019, I am one of your hosts, Trevor. And I'm another one, Adriel. And the other two are, uh, well, they hate Milserps and they hate the listeners and they hate the Swiss. So they thought they, you know, what's the point really? And they got Rimlock on the dry over here. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you know why they got rimlock out of spec tires or wheels or rims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not not to spec poor no. commercial quality stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so since they're not here, we can get right to it and talk about what we did this week in guns. And what we did this week in guns is brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center, Canada's premier firearms retailer. This week, they've got something really exciting on the go. If you were after a custom factory rifle, like a, a rifle that's been taken and well, basically loved loved by a gunsmith in every way you can imagine even no just every way uh that's what they're doing they are taking tikas and they're um they're doing amazing things to them let me walk you through here some of the jobs that they're doing to the tikas so first up they they, they take a tika t3x chambered in 22250 and here's what they're doing they're starting with a boyd stock they're doing pillar bedding threading the muzzle putting a target crown on the gun then they're installing a badger ordnance brake. They're squaring off the, bra- the barrel, the receiver, and the bolt. They're lapping the bolt to make that action silky smooth. Then they're installing a new oversized li- recoil lug, timony triggers, worn scope ring or scope rail, and uh, recoil pin. Uh, the bore is also lapped. The chamber is polished. Half MOA with Hornady Superformance factory ammo on that particular gun. Like, come on. Um, and it's really cheap too. It's only thirty five hundred bucks. So you know, you take a Tika and um, you turn it into just like Tikas are already amazing. But if all those little bucket list items that you wish you could do, well, now they're all done for you. Like, you just yeah, purchase. like a semi custom Tika build. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then they've got the T three X in two two three, all the same love made to it, only uh, a lot cheaper, three thousand dollars. So you're saving 500 bucks if you go to the superior caliber of 223. But I'm a little biased. What are you going to do? So, so head on over to the Calgary Shooting Center website to check those out. You can also actually see the guns if you go to Canada Gun Nuts and go to the forums and look up the um, Calgary Shooting Center's forum over there under the uh, dealer network and check those out. And, of course, tell Jeff we said hi. Um. Yeah, so that takes us to what we did, and I went to a match in Woodstock. It was the first outdoor level, it was the first outdoor Ipswich, New Brunswick match of the season. It took place, as I said, in Woodstock. McClatchy was able to join me on Saturday to help build some stages, and um, Sunday he was in my squad, and uh, we shot together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but before all of that, I got to finally test drive this my CZ P10 FF being full size. 
It's everything I thought it would be and more. The listeners who have been with us a long time know how much I love the FNS line of pistols. Still love them. Still awesome. Only they're a bag of crap compared to this thing. I don't. Use- <laughs> they're awesome, except uh, they're kind of a bag of crap. Compared to this thing, they are a bag of crap. This is the Glock Killer. Uh, it has awesome. And you're holding up your uh, P10F. That's the full. I, I am. Not only is that full size, you've got like extra room under your pinky on that grip. It's, it's a- made for men, right? It really, not that ladies can't use it. Don't send me the hate mail. A bunch of social justice. Anyway. Like a, a baseball bat grip on that thing. If you like, have If I was the opposite of uh, Alain, who's missing fingers and had all my fingers plus one, I'd have room for the extra finger on my gun, right? So, um, you know what else is cool? They're compatible with Glock holsters. Now, not all Glock holsters. Your, you know, your uh, mileage may vary. But if you get a like a an LHS Kydex Glock holster, no problem, fits right in. I have here my um, uh, Concealment Solutions. They're out of Utah. They um, used to be really tight with the gun news back in the day. And this is the, uh, I don't remember what this one's called. This not the Sidewinder, the Mamba. It's uh, inside the waistband holster by Jason Christensen for the Glock. And check this out. Snap. Oh, damn. Look at that. Fits like a glove. Other Kydex holsters also fit like a glove. So I ordered, are you ready for this? A Red Hill Tactical. Red Hill Tactical holsters are amazing. They're Kydex. They're, they're thick Kydex, multiple layers customizable all kinds of amazing features however kind of they ain't cheap they ain't cheap and the dollar is killing us right now 140 bucks Whoa. and that's without a hanger or nothing that's just the kydex shell that's just a kydex holster too i was looking at the double alpha alpha x and i think that was two three hundred something like that really when you so, think about 150 for a kydex now did you get the hanger and all that cool stuff no dude nothing Nothing. Black on black, 140 bucks. Woo! Oh! Yep. yep. <laughs> Spicy. Oh. Yep. Not for hobos. Or Canadian. 140 Canadian? Canadian. Oh, that's still. Yeah, for a piece of Kydex. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's custom. Made with, it's custom. It's made with love. Yeah. Made with love. But so, but cool. back to the gun. So the gun um, has cocking serrations front and back the front sight is held in with a dovetail and a set screw the rear sights dovetail set screw you can swap those out already in stock that's calgary shooting center right now if you've got the p version of this gun the or sorry the c version of this gun the compact right the it's the, it's compact like like glock 19 size it's got the threaded barrel coming out the front of course it's got the really silly suppressor sights well the calgary shooting center has trigicon night sights to replace those that are the normal height so you don't look like you're you're sites or satellite dishes or mm-hmm. antennas so um but these sites worked really good in the daytime uh, they're a day glow they look white in here but when i got out in the sun they were like glowing kind of a greenish kind of color um they've got the step on the back so you can cock it off a table or off your belt or whatever uh along with the front and rear cocking serrations you have ambidextrous slide stop a reversible magazine well all standard right the stippling is insane can you lock the camera here for those that are watching us? Yeah, one second. Locked. So let me get some good light on here. Look at that stippling, man. Like this would hurt Tom Nelson's hands. That's an old I, joke from back in the day. Hey, my 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 bar for like 
super aggressive stippling as the FNS is is it more or less the and the and the FNS if you grip it hard it hurts your hand is it that level or I'd say it's that level like look look at my fingers mm -hmm. look at my hand you can yeah. see all the imprint in my hand yeah, yeah. that's what you know that's what do yeah um it feels like the quality of the polymer feels um it's stiffer or harder if that makes sense like if you squeeze the FNS kind of you know, like a man, you might flex the grip a little bit, kind of like an MMP as well. This one, not so much. Um, the takedown, same as a Glock. You got these two takedown tabs here. You pull down, you pull back on the slide, let it go forward, yeah, and boom. It's yeah. exactly like a Glock. And then, of course, everybody's seen how uh, how you remove the barrel from one of these. If you haven't, <laughs> there's a bazillion YouTube videos. I want to show you how. All right. Um, ooh, cat hair. Uh, the I've yet to completely detail strip it. I used to do that right away with new guns to see how intuitive it was to completely disassemble them, reassemble them. Uh, when I started working at a gunsmith, I got over that really fast. Now I don't take nothing apart unless I have to. Trigger talked about is amazing, and it seems like it's getting uh, even better after shooting, right? Breaking in. Um, much, or not unlike the FN, FNS. The FN, FNS trigger is a lot of people absolutely hate it. It's not the best trigger, not going to lie, but it's 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 workable, whatever. But this thing is excellent right out of the box. You don't have to worry about it being workable or getting better. It's already good and will continue to get better as the gun uh, breaks in. What do you put the weight at? Um, you know what? I don't know, Adriel, but when you're talking later to the listeners, I'll get up and get my uh, digital trigger scale and I'll test it because cool. it's literally five feet from me. So I'm so impressed with the gun. I put 20 rounds to it, and I immediately sent Jeff Reese a copy of my credit card and said, give me the compact. Hmm. Yeah, you said you said you were going to buy the compact after shooting that thing. I thought maybe like you figured out the grip was too big and you wanted something smaller. No, see, I had both the FNs. I had the FN, FNS, long slide, and the regular one. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to have a Glock 17 and a Glock 19, and the Glock 19 used to reside in my uh, bug out bag. And so I think the compact would, would, be, would take its place in my bug out bag. And um, this one will stay in the gun room or go in the basement safe or something, you know. Anyway, um, I like it a lot. So, and I think we talked about this. There's a, there's a recall on the FN right now. I was, um, I sold both mine and I immediately regretted it. And I wanted to get them back. And uh, anyway, so Jeff ordered one for, or I asked Jeff to order one. And then I kind of took a breath. And then uh, like 24 or 48 hours went by and I asked Denis about it. So, Denise, like, you want me to order? I'm like, I do, but I already need to finish paying off my 1895, which is on layaway. And you've got a revolver there that I really, really want. So you can order it, but I'm not buying it right away. Plus, I also ordered uh, one of those Benelli M4 clones from them. So anyway, uh, man. Did you get a good price? Those those prices like bounced around quite a bit in the last week here. They were 850 I think I saw one for 699 it depends who's bringing them in. If they're yeah. coming into trigger wholesale, they're seven hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. I've seen them, like you said, six ninety nine all the way to eight ninety nine, and that's Tenda. But Tenda is always more expensive. So, whatever. No, Tenda is um, usually cheaper. So, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tenda is cheaper for everything. So for them to be more expensive is uh, weird. Um. Okay. What else we got? You can take the unlock the camera. Oh, oh, so back to the match. So I shot a match with um, this gun. This is my 
Tanfoglio witness 1911 chambered in 45 and I had I had two I had one in nine mil one in 45 both identical and uh, I I don't think I shot the nine mil like I shot both of these just to say I shot them at the range once okay there I fired them they work mm -hmm. after I tuned them up um, and then I sold the nine millimeter because I got my Calgary shooting center Dan Weston right so my Dan Weston's my primary my STI is my backup I don't need a backup for the STI like let's get let's calm down so I sold the nine mil but I I wanted to try a match in classic major. And the reason why I want to try a match in classic major is I do a lot of hosing of targets. I really, I, for, for an old fat man, I run pretty fast and my speeds are up there with some of our top production shooters and the smaller classic shooters and stuff. And my style of shooting lends itself more to a standard shooter who, who doesn't care about Charlie's just pound the target, shoot as fast oh. as you can because you're scoring major. So I thought I would try a, a, a match shooting classic major so I could, you know, score major and, and really hose. I wasn't hosing. I was shooting too conservatively and there was a lot of unloaded starts. So you pull the gun from your holster, you pull a mag from the mag pouch, insert it and rack around. I could have used a bit more crimp on my ammo. They were, uh, they weren't chambering very well. I had a failure to feed. I had two or three malfunctions. And one time I had a standing mag change because your stage plan when you're shooting with nine rounds in the gun instead of 11 is very different. Yeah. So, um, I had a, I had a plan worked out and then somebody said, I'm going to do it this way. And I went, Oh damn, that's a much better plan. If you're shooting minor. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up with a standing reload. Wasn't bad. It didn't hurt me too, too much for the first match of the year. Whatever. I did good. I won classic division and, um, I had the match one and then we found a mistake in scoring. They had me down for 0.94 of a stage time. When most most guys were doing it in 10, 11, 12 seconds, they had me down for 0.94. When you have a 0.94 stage time, do you know what that does to your power factor? Or sorry, your hit factor? Yeah, it crank, probably cranks it way up. What was your hit factor only like 30? 38. <laughs> 38. <laughs> 38 hit factor. Uh, yeah, no. So luckily, I didn't know what to do. We couldn't let it ride because it was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the, the, the scores are submitted. What are you going to, you know, it's, it's only a level two. It's only a weekend match, but you still want to do everything right. Well, um, my RO had a head cam on Oh, and he recorded the run mm -hmm. and he went back and reviewed the tape and got the actual time. So we sent the actual time to the match director who then, uh, edited the results and, and made it correct. So my actual time was 9.54 seconds. That makes a little bit more sense. It does, and, but unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it just is what it is. It changed the time uh, or it changed the results. So now instead of me being 100% and Jeremy being 97 or 98, I was 97 of him. So Jeremy shot a great first match. Like he's been doing a lot of practicing. Jeremy's the guy, I'll use his name now. He's the guy at the RO class a couple of weeks ago who got up in the middle of the class to show me a Ben Stagger video. Yeah, well, he's been watching a lot of Ben Stager videos, apparently, because the man's learned some stuff. Was he and shooting the same division as you or different? No, he's shooting production. Oh, so you you were you wanted the overall with your, yeah. <laughs> with yeah. your crazy point nine and your in your thirty-eight hit factor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um when we when we actually corrected the scores, I didn't win overall. I was just second overall. So I'll take it. Whatever. First time with this gun, first match of the season. Um 
and there's there's no shame in losing to Jeremy. He's up and coming, man. He's he's you fit. He's you shot a different division. Pardon me. You didn't lose. You shot a different division. Yeah, and you can't win overall, but you can win overall. <laughs> but it doesn't count. It's only bragging rights. Yeah, unless you're shooting a PCC and you win overall, then it absolutely counts. That's when it, <laughs> that's when it matters. Yeah, and I'm, I, you know, this weekend I'm bringing both my PCC and my Glock. So I lent my nine millimeter. Uh, sorry, I say Glock. I meant my 1911. I'm going to take both my PCC and my Dan Wesson this weekend, and then I'll decide when. Mm, now I'm done with PCC for now. I I really enjoyed shooting a handgun again, and you know what? Like it didn't completely fall apart after. Uh, not shooting it all winter. I shot one match in pistol all winter and that was January. And then I switched to PCC and uh, I almost pulled the trigger on a Geisley super 3d or super three gun for my, uh, FX nine this week. Cause, uh, I might get serious about PCC next year. I don't know. Uh, the That's older cool. I get, the more tempting it is to switch divisions. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that was the match. It was huge, man. 13 stages. 13 stages for a level two first match of the year. And it was, you know, what we call the black badge match. Mm -hmm. Black badge match has to be a level two. And a level two has to be six stages. Well, this was 13 stages. So it was a monster match for the first one of the year. And their range uh, in Woodstock has been completely um, rebuilt, renovated, whatever. They've added a whole pile of bays. They have what I refer to now as a level three caliber or quality range. They can hold. Well, dude. 13 stages. That's not like that's a lot of bays. Dude, we did 13 stages in three bays. The match director is accustomed to having to build, you know, one big stage and then you How shoot this. You have? How many what? Shooters did you guys have there? 33. Oh, that's why. Okay. So you so didn't have did. that. So like three bays is fine for. for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Problem is he didn't know. 60 could have showed up. You guys would have had a long day. Longer day. People through three bays. Would have been ridiculous. Yeah. 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 So, but they're accustomed to piling everything into a couple of bays. He doesn't have to anymore. He can spread it out. All right. There's three or four bays on one side, then two on the other side going, you walk down the road and you got three on this side and two on this side. And then the side berm that divides the pistol section from the rifle section has been sanctioned and approved as a backstop. So he can use the rifle backstop and the dividing berm as a backstop. And he can put some stages there. Good. Like, Calgary did this at the Nationals. They had this long rifle range, and you just you shot straight down range into the backstop, and they just divided them, divided the they they built bays on a rifle bay rifle range by putting big bales of hay. Winnipeg did something similar too, where they used the side of a rifle range berm and divided it into bays with um, secants. Hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, they have potential there to hold a monster. Like they, I, I, I'm not kidding. They could hold a nationals with enough time and uh, creative planning to divide that rifle section into a bunch of bays. No problem. So, uh, what else I got to say about the match? That's it. It was a lot of fun. Um, oh, my first official match as a range master. So I got my range master yeah. status last year after the provincial, and. Um, I finished all my qualifications then, and I got notification from uh, Ipsit Canada sometime late winter that I was indeed complete 
I had indeed completed my requirements. And I was a range master. So this was my first, first match to the range master. And the match director forgot to tell anybody. So when there were two DQs that didn't get called, which is, you know, somebody gets DQ'd to call the range master, but uh -huh. he went over and he handled it. He made sure that the um, rules were followed appropriately. And the only other range master type thing I did was I, um, there were two, two poppers in a stage that were problematic. There was no adjustment on them. They're an old design and they're adjusted by lifting the front up and stuff like this. And, they, the, the match director just simply did not have the time to test them before the match, and they started to fail immediately, and they fail often at those matches. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to let the stage get tossed. So instead, since my squad was the first squad to shoot it, I grabbed the tablet, went, uh, went into the stages, modified the stage, pulled the two tablets out of the stage. We laid them down, threw them aside. Yeah. Yeah, and then we just shot the stage without the steel. Um, the match director was of course disappointed and I completely can, I can totally sympathize with him because as a match director, when somebody messes with your work, you take, it's hard to not take personal, like you, you think it's going to work and you want it to work and you have an idea in mind and then someone else just comes along and, and changes it. It feels arbitrary, even though it's not. So, uh, he took it really well. He's a good kid. Um, it well. sucks. It sucks if you're trying to test something really difficult to test and that target was part of it like if you're trying to make it difficult for someone to stage plan and you needed those two targets in there but some like a lot of the times you're just doing it for round count or doing it for you know i need this many targets at this at this area yeah i mean it was it was cool it had you shooting them from an elevated platform kind of on a lean so it was it was cool it was too bad to see them go but uh we were three or four reshoots before i decided to pull them yeah, and that's going to ruin your, your time for the day. Yeah. And then by the time he came over, uh, we already had th two or three shooters who had shot it under the new design. So that's it for me. What have you been up to? Oh, let's see here. Uh, Friday. So uh, Rick from uh, Maple Seed, while well, he was here on Thursday when we did the recording there. Uh, we taught a maple seed on Saturday. It was good. It was uh, cold. <laughs> it started at like four degrees for the day, which was fine. Uh, but then it started snowing and blowing. And the poor students were on their shooting mats prone. And they had snow blowing in on the shooting mats. So they had to they had to lay on wet shooting mats and shoot from those during the day. So it was, uh, Too bad. It was cold. It was, it was nasty. Suck it up. Uh, but... They did pretty good. We had we had a lot of students uh, qualify for riflemen, a lot more than uh, than we had last year, which was uh, excellent. Oh so, no way! I think yeah. you know. I think in Restigus we only had one person in the whole class, and there was a lot last, of people. Last year I think we had two, but this year we had like half the class qualified. Nice. So uh, yeah, it was it was it was a much better result. I think uh, um, a lot of the people. This is their second time uh, taking the maple seeds, so made a difference there. What what's your pistol racking at? Well, did it sound like 5.42? No, it's 5.5 pounds, four and a half ounces. Yeah. Which, Still. out of the box for a duty pistol? Fantastic. Yep. Yep. Uh, what else could I say about that maple seed? Uneventful. It was my first time doing uh, maple seed as an IIT. I have a bunch more uh, scheduled this year. Cause... What sections did you do? Or did you just like babysit the line? Or did you teach any, any component? Uh, I did the uh, six steps to making a rifle safe 
and uh, uh, I was the dummy for a couple of the uh, um, examples that they needed to show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, ROing the line, calling uh, calling for ceasefire. Help. Uh, some people came with uh, rifles that weren't sighted in, so I helped them early <laughs> on in the day, making sure that they got the rifles sighted in as soon as possible, so that they weren't par for the course, man. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, I think so. Like, I, I talked to Rick about it, and I'm like, "Yeah, does that happen often?" He's like, "Yes." Like, people people will go buy a rifle and a scope and put it on, and then show up the thing, and, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. So, um, yeah, because I was like, "Man, it'd be nice if." Uh, I mean, the other thing is, um, and we didn't have it uh, this year, but the last last year we had people showing up with stuff that was harder because they're like, "I want to do it with my," and then they insert something that's a little bit more difficult, right? But then they get to the course and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute." This is harder than I thought it was going to be. I shouldn't have taken my whatever rifle that made it harder, right? So I think uh, this year people showed up with proper proper uh, or more proper gear for it. And uh, and that de- definitely helped us qualify more riflemen. I mean, you, you want to learn and practice rifleman uh, uh, marksmanship skills. You don't want to be practicing uh, reloading a weird gun or... Um, you know, shooting with sights that maybe aren't appropriate for or whatever. And, uh, and this year it was good, so... Uh, I got those guys squared away with uh, with setting in their rifles uh, fairly early, and uh, it was fairly uneventful. You know, I've I, I've been to a couple of the maple seeds, and, and this one was uh, was very average for for all of them in terms of uh, uh, the consistency. Like that's that's one thing I think I've mentioned this before. The consistency that maple seed does for their for the courses is very high, and uh, the consistency was there as well. Uh, and then the very next day we went and shot a CRPS match, which is, uh, this hat that I'm wearing here. Uh, so CRPS is that rimfire precision at long range. Um, I, I, and then I went, turned around and wrote an article about it the next day. Cause I'm of course an expert now that I've shot one. Uh, that's the, <laughs> I'm not an expert, but I'll write about it because no one else has. And, uh, it was very interesting. So we went through 10 stages um, most of them weren't like the one that I shared on Instagram, that one where like you had to build your own barricade. Most of them were, were shoot. It's, it's mostly positional shooting. That one was just a fun one to, uh, uh, do one where you had to build your position. Um, and there's a couple things that I did. Well, I, I think that in terms of, uh, setup for the match, I had some, like I had an accurate rifle, accurate, uh, ammo. Uh, I had a really good scope for, for the match, a, an, an appropriate scope. Uh, I think my dope at range could have been better. Uh, I I got there with one dope. I, I'd been trying to make uh, Streelock work for my drop, but uh, do you have Streelock, Trevor? Do I have what? Streelock is a as an app as a ballistics no, app. No, no, I don't have so any ballistics apps. It's 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 one of the more popular ones out there. It's very comprehensive. It's a little bit complicated to use and. Uh, I made a couple of mistakes. I've, I've this like I, I took my rifle out to two, three hundred before several times, but every time I'd get out and what Streelock was telling me and what I would observe would be different. And then I'd find out something new in Streelock. Oh, I didn't set the zeroing weather. You got to check that box and have it your zeroing weather needs to be set. Okay, done. And then I go and shoot again, and then I come back and it's like, man, I'm still off. Oh, I didn't check the. Uh, Elevation density. Well, that has an impact on things. And uh, my current weather wasn't set. So by the time I got to the match, I had been trying to make Streelock, uh, trying to get it configured correctly so it would give me real results. Um, and I wasn't there. So um, I was pretty close, but um, 
as as the day went on, I finally got, I finally figured it out from like observed uh, observed impacts at distance. But that would have uh, that probably would have helped my score. It still wouldn't have got me top ten though, because the the top guys that showed up, I kind of had the impression like when I was going to go to this thing, it was going to be like PRS light, like uh, uh, you know, people shoot PRS and they're very serious about it. And then every once in a while, they just crack crack out the twenty twos and they go, you know, shoot one of these rimfire matches. Nope. There was like the people were serious about this. <laughs> oh, they really? Had, they had uh, uh, extremely serious equipment specific to shooting rimfires long range, and that's something that surprised me. I thought I thought this was going to be PRS uh, light practice, cheap practice for PRS, and people were not at all treating it like that. It was its own thing. Um, have you ever heard of like a, a Voodoo uh, V twenty two? No, it's a Rem seven hundred action in rimfire and just just the barreled action is like 2500 bucks and then the stock is a thousand and then you need a trigger so you're going to put like a 300 trigger in there and then you're going to put a scope on there so you're going to probably going to put like a 1500 scope on there so by the time you're done you're looking at like a seven thousand dollar rifle that shoots 22 lr and some of the guys have those oh really they're serious about their game Yes. Yeah. That was the one thing that surprised me. I thought people would be cracking out like Mark twos and uh, maybe some CZs and that, that would be the end of it. But nope, nope. There was some, there's, there's some people who are serious about this, which is kind of cool because it's kind of like uh, opening the door and, and expecting one thing and, and finding out like, holy crap, there's a bunch of people that are super serious about this. That I just never, I never knew this is a thing and, and it is a thing. And uh, yeah. So the, anyways, uh, coming back to my ranking. So I did okay. I was like, I, I was telling Rick on the way out there. I'm like, I think I'll get middle of the pack. My, you know, my prep in some areas has been better. Uh, I, I won't melt down under pressure, but you know, I just, I haven't really been doing a lot of PRS. This is my first time shooting a PRS style match. Uh, so I can't expect to do like that great. Um, and I did okay, but the guys in the top 10 are, were like, another couple of levels up on top of that so like the the for me to get in there i would need a lot more experience shooting these kinds of matches and practice right um all right enough about that i wrote a crps oh man my our, our squad was really cool we had it we had some guys show up in in costume as uh uh oh what are the little guys on star wars there Ewoks. Ewoks. Uh, Dad is Ewok and his daughter is uh, as Leia, and they're shooting Marlin 795s and kicking butt, shooting Marlin 795s out to like well, 250 yards. Of course, they were kicking butt Marlin 75s. So you met Matthew McClatchy. <laughs> uh, so did this take place on May the fourth? Uh, Otherwise, why else would they be in costume? That would it. Yeah, yeah. It was May the fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got filthy so drunk. That he threw up in his helmet. It was amazing. <laughs> he was wrecked. I can't even share the video. I can't. I just can't. But uh, well, stormtroopers throwing up into his uh, helmet is uh, is a sorry state. Uh, state Clon- clones yeah. can't clones can't hold their liquor, man. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. It started off with a few beers, and next thing you know, it was almost like at Andy's where we kept pulling out all these half bottles of rum and then finishing them. Now there's no whiskey left in Fredericton. I'm sorry. But it was mostly filthy. And then, so he's throwing up, right? And he's like, Squire, Squire, get me a, get me some water. And he comes back with a glass of whiskey and he hands it to him. Oh, you almost took it. <laughs> you imagine puking up whiskey and then rinsing your mouth with whiskey? It would have been awesome. But no. Yeah. Uh, true friends. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, CRPS match is fun. If if um, if we can, I would like to have more of those uh, around because it's super easy to just roll out to one of those things. Um, we fit ten stages in one bay, and we had uh, we were shooting five of them concurrently. You have five different uh, um, squads shooting all at once, so uh, you can move a lot of people through a lot of stages in a small area, which is kind of neat. Uh, let's see here. And then after the match, I swapped my covenant. So I've got a Cabela's covenant. I swapped it onto my NS522 because I need that $1,200 scope for testing other rifles. That's like my test scope. Uh, so I pulled it off of there, threw a red dot on the 795. And now if I go, you know, smoking gophers with the boy again, he can red dot that stuff up. Maybe get some standing shots. I don't ever want to shoot game without a red dot ever again. After shooting a grouse in the head with my typhoon and a red dot, it's the only way to hunt. <laughs> you imagine like there's there's some hunting purists listening right now and they're listening to the phrase i shot a grouse with my typhoon f12 mag fed semi-auto shotgun ar style with a red dot on it and now i don't want to do anything else <laughs> there's no if you do anything else you're 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 a fud it's the only way to whack game i prefer to shoot grouse with a nasty old 22 and shoot, shoot him in the head lame Lame. Right. I shoot him in the head too, but I put a red dot on them first. I feel like I'm in the movie don't Assassins. Don't you get pellets in the in the breast? Like how uh, how like what choke are you using? Full? Yeah, yeah. Even with a full light, like every once in a while, I get a I mean, I sure. Get a of course you do. Pellet. Whatever. I don't Not like the that. end of the world. My dad used to shoot them in the butt. He'd be like, shoot him in the butt. He'd take the legs out from underneath them. Rips the you know that was hissed technique shoot him in the back legs yeah no way in the head with a 22 lr you can't oh yeah how many how many do you miss though like i'm not that good of a shot to be headshot and gross in the head with a 22 even with a scope you prop up your rifle i never use a scope when i'm shooting gross with a 22 it's always some iron-sided rifle that's just out on the farm but i'll grab onto a tree because there's there's always a tree there and then that's your that's your steady hold or you're in alberta it's not always a tree but if there's grosser trees, yeah, you're right. There's grosser trees, yeah. Anyways, uh, enough about hypothetical grouse hunting. Um, and then this weekend, I have a three-gun match. I've got a three-gun match on Saturday. I am going to shoot it with that modern sporter. So that nice, minty, modern sporter that ATRS lent to me uh, might be thrown into a dump barrel at a, at a three-gun match. I might be Proper jacking thing. it through a, through a VTAC, that kind of thing. Proper thing. That's what it's meant Proper for. Proper thing. Proper thing. Yeah. But uh, that should be good. Um, that's it for me. Okay. So uh, moving along, I'm trying to line something up for us here. That's why I'm only kind of half listening. But uh, we're going to jump into upcoming events that we may. Oh, there we go. Hold the line, Adriel. I'll, I'll do this thing. You do that thing. All right. You should mute your. Yeah, there we go. Uh, upcoming events, uh, the Meaford Steel Challenge is open for registration. Match starts on September 7th uh, at 8 a.m. And the match will end on the 8th, uh, sight in on the 6th. The location is the 4th Canadian Division Training Centre just outside Meaford, Ontario, Canada. If you want more information, head to facebook.com. Search for Meaford Steel Challenge or MLRSC. Uh, the next one here is the fourth annual Ronnie DeGroote Memorial Steel Challenge. This is going to be June 1st at the Rest Goosh Gun Club. It'll be $25. 
Registration will be on practice score. It will be USPSA Steel Challenge Rules and Stages. And I don't have this listed on the events, but this is just something that's uh, that's new that's coming out. Is uh, Cold Lake is starting a Rimfire Steel Challenge League as well. So if you have uh, if you're in Eastern Alberta or Western Saskatchewan, uh, you might want to check them out. Um, Cold Lake or Bonneville. One of those two. They're very close. Uh, one of them is going to be doing a steel challenge where you'll be able to use rimfire rifles, rimfire pistols, and shoot steel plates. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, head on over to Cold Lake or... I can't remember which way I saw it on now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, why don't we get over into the news? And uh, uh, the first one I have here is the uh, C-71 amendments uh, were... uh, The amendments were voted down. And now it's actually being sent to its third reading on uh, on May the 9th, which is today. So there's a uh, a good chance that uh, that C-71 is is going to get in uh, and uh, is going to pass. So so that's a thing that's happening. Um, Another thing... Uh, and this is something that uh, uh, actually Kelly was at, uh, the two Kellys uh, were at, as well as a, a bunch of people from the CCFR. They were out uh, protesting at uh, the city of Kingston was um, uh, going to petition to strengthen C-71. They wanted a handgun, semi-automatic, and an assault weapon ban. Uh, so there was a town hall uh, where they were going to vote on it. Uh, CCFR, SFRC, FRPC, CFD, CFB Kingston, and the... Napanee Gun and Rod Club, as well as dozens and dozens of gun owners, filled the council chambers. Uh, gun owners showed up, emailed. They really made a difference, and uh, and this was actually voted down. So now the city of Kingston won't be, I don't know, virtue signaling uh, that uh, that they're going to uh, put this this ban in, which uh, which is kind of nice. And then I don't I don't know if anyone else has uh, has seen this. But um, the CBC's The National has put out a couple of a uh, couple of different videos on uh, on gun control here in Canada. They've been getting a lot of uh, a lot of airtime to the uh, uh, Doctors Against uh, Against Guns groups, and uh, it's it's been I don't know if I'll I'll, I'll put a link to uh, to the show in the show notes. But uh, it's kind of infuriating to watch because it is it is very much a uh, a one sided argument and. Uh, uh, unfortunate that, uh, that it has to get to that. Uh, Trevor's just working on a uh, on a breaking uh, news story here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a little bit of time to keep uh, keep putting there that in, and I'll get to the uh, I'll just do the new gun stuff uh, for now. Uh, just give me one moment. I am going to share my screen. I'm gonna share that one. And then I will pull up my other notes on the side here, just so that we can uh, pull these up. The first one is that Tendis is selling these MC312s. These are a, a Grisan semi-auto inertial action shotguns. These use a, a turning bolt similar to the... I thought they were 359. There's one for 359. Uh, these are uh, uh, inexpensive shotgun. I think that they might be decent for hunting, but... Again, I haven't uh, I haven't shot some of these, and some of these Turkish shotguns are uh, varying quality. Um, so uh, TBD on uh, on that one. Uh, the next one that's kind of neat here is these uh, Husan Husan. I'm not quite sure. They're a 410 shotgun AR upper. 
So you would take one of these guys and throw it on your AR and uh, shoot 410, which is uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, they're $569 and uh, kind of neat, kind of a kind of a weird, uh, neat little thing. Uh, this next one, I didn't even know that these were still being sold, but apparently they are. I mean, there's there's some areas of, of uh, Canada where if you're hunting, you have to use a shotgun. So I guess this is is where you would use this. Uh, this is the Savage 212, uh, 212. It's a bolt action shotgun with uh, mags and it comes with a scope. <laughs> so for $950, you get this bolt action slug gun, which apparently, you know, this would probably be uh, pretty accurate with slugs. Uh, which I think is the idea here, but uh, boy, what a weird, what a weird combination. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, they, they, they put limits on, uh, on some of these different firearms that were, I don't know, uh, not able to, the, the rounds won't go as far as, is, is one of the excuses that's given, but uh, uh, boy, a thousand dollar shotgun just for, just for hunting is, is kind of an, kind of an odd thing. Uh, the next one I wanted to show was uh, Freedom Ventures has these uh, tech whale products in, uh, they've got a couple of different ones. They've got some uh, for something called Techwell. You'd assume that there's a Magwell, and they have some Magwells for uh, the JP rifles as well as CMMG. They've also got some grips, so they've got some 1911 grips, uh, kind of similar to the uh, lock grips in in look. And then they've got some Techwell Magwells for 1911 and 2011 pistols. So if you're looking around for a Magwell to uh, load up mags a little bit better, uh, take a look at those. They are awesome. Um, the Techwell Magwell for the PCCs is really awesome. The handgun ones, um, I started my first uh, Magwell on my classic gun. And if you put a Magwell on a classic gun in Ipsic, it's important to make sure that you get one that's legal for your division and will still fit in the box. The first one I got is pictured there. It's the one that is open in the front. And it came with um, the great one, Grips. So the GTO Grips that are also pictured there, those black ones. And the Magwell actually locks up inside the G10 Grip. And um, they make they make really nice stuff. And they're from Techwear USA. So you see all those cool shooting shirts around the range? They make the best shooting shirt, hands down. Oh, we, interesting. Yeah, same company out of New York. Techwell. We our, our first team shirt for the, um, for the, uh, for Restigush we ordered tech well shirts or tech wear shirts mm -hmm. and we had a ton of sponsoring and we still had to pay 80 bucks a shirt. They're just, yeah, they're, they're just, expensive, but they're yeah, nice. They like, yeah, oh, very nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and then, uh, the last one here, this is one that I just, just saw like one hour ago. This is the MDT impact target sensor. Uh, now, uh, uh, what's the magneto speed has the t1000s right there's they're the led blinkers you, you throw on the target this is a very different idea this is a sensor that goes on the target itself uh you probably want to put it on the back not on the front um and then so it's got two sensors and it's got a hub and this connects with your phone so <laughs> and the, the interesting thing this works to two miles so incredible range i think at uh, you know at uh, those those red blinkers can be difficult to see at uh, at long range unless you're using a scope or, or some sort of spotting scope. Um, but with these, you wouldn't have to because it just says on your phone uh, where the hits are. And if you watch this video, I don't know if this video is going to play for everyone or if they're going to be able to see, but you might be able to notice some uh, uh, familiar faces on here because I think uh, we've got Ryan Stacy <laughs> showing up on these uh, videos uh, uh, shooting these things. 
but yeah, cool, right? It shows the impacts uh, right on your phone or tablet when you make those hits like way, way out there. That is cool. Um, the guys are trying to build an F-class range at my, or an F-class, yeah, an F-class range at my gun club. So uh, that might help. That might be something they want to look into for practice. Yeah, I mean, um, like the, the, the T-1000s are okay, but this maybe this is uh, more reliable. It def- definitely going to be easier to tell whether you've made that hit or not. Uh, the T-1000s, if you don't aim the LED perfectly, uh, it's they're actually kind of hard to see. You need the LED, the the reflector, to be aimed right back at you. Hmm. Uh, okay. So just to k- catch you up with what I've done here, I hit all the news items except for the one that you put there. And oh, okay, uh, you gun stuff. All right. Um, yeah. The uh, sorry, I missed the Kingston one. Just you know, the citizens around Kingston who are gun owners really rallied, and um, thank God there was a a member of city council there with. Uh, a good head on their shoulders to mm-hmm. kind of l- let people know what was happening. And if people didn't kind of get tipped off to this, this may have gone through and it was close. It was a vote of seven to six. So yeah. that would have been bad. Now this is a thing that happened in the United States where municipalities start passing their own gun laws and it makes it difficult when you're within one state to keep track of, okay, my, my magazines are legal here, but over here they're not legal. Like there's some state capitals where you're not allowed to have full cap mags, but the rest of the state you are, right? It's ridiculous. So if Canadian municipalities start trying to pass their own gun laws or start trying to put pressure on politicians to amend or change gun laws, that's a scary time for us in Canada. So it's important to find out, you know, where's your municipal government's head at with regards to this, you remember um, they have a lot of time on their hands. Are they just busy bodies? This seems like a busy body thing to do. Like you've got all the other things in the world that a municipality has to worry about. And you're worrying about something that is not in your control. Yeah. <laughs> and not something you can, you can effectively put pressure on other than doing like a virtue signaling thing like this. Then that's what it is. Remember Dean from select shooting supplies got attacked. Yeah. After he got attacked, a member of his municipal council started to victim shame. What? We have a gun store here? Well, this wouldn't happen if we didn't have a gun store. It wasn't about Mr. Crazy Pants. It was about the fact that there was a gun store, and he claimed he didn't know there was a gun store in his municipality. Well, like Tracy said, well, let's think about this. It's literally like a lot. Well, it's, 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 it's within a very close distance to his office. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the store is Select Shooting Supplies. It's kind of in the title kind of implies what it's all about. And yet he didn't know. And when he found out, he was concerned, not with the violent act of this individual that attacked Dean. He was concerned with the fact that there was a gun store there that went unbeknownst to him for years. And then all of a sudden it's a problem because the owner got attacked. yesterday you didn't know it was there today this guy's a victim and now it's a problem yeah these people are out there they're representing you at the municipal government level and you need to remind them who they worked for or who they are working for so get you know get involved in municipal politics find out who's on council and what they stand for and remind them they were elected to represent you so so uh that phone call that the listeners may have heard was from tracy wilson of the ccfr and i wanted to get caught up a little bit with uh, a tweet that i'm seeing floating around right now 
And at this point, it's still a rumor, but Tony Clement said today that he has it on good authority or a reliable source. Um, I'm paraphrasing here that Trudeau is considering an order in council to impose a sweeping ban on guns. So nothing specific has been said, whether it's going to be quote unquote assault rifles and handguns or handguns, but he's meeting with the prime minister of New Zealand in BC uh, in June. And the rumor is that he's going to like ban our guns to virtue signal, to get on a soapbox, to be a pretend feminist, to show her support. Mm. So he's giving away our money to foreign countries. And now he's going to give away our rights well, to just, support a foreign country. Just, like he'll uh, do everything for everyone uh, else, but nothing for us. He just lost that uh, that lawsuit with uh, uh, over the uh, Navy procurement, and uh, and they're gonna, they're going to get bit on that hard. And now they're just looking for something, anything to save their butt. Like the the the, th- the one thing that um, I feel okay with is that if they introduce something like this as a voting uh, position, they're gonna they're they're gonna get beat anyways in in the fall. I have the uh, the the uh, quote here from Tony Clement. If you want me to read it out, please. I have it on good authority that the PM has a secret plan to ban legal firearms. Apparently, this plan is to be executed by a cabinet directive with no debate in the parliament. The PM plans to announce this gun ban at the Women Deliver conference held in early June in Vancouver, where New Zealand PM Arden will also attend. Can the PM confirm or deny this zero accountability secret plan? Bill Blair responded, I just want to assure this house that our government remains absolutely committed to taking all the measures that are effective in keeping Canadians safe. And as I believe every member of this house will agree, there's no greater responsibility for any order of government. (sighs) Sounds like some BS is cooking. It's so incredibly infuriating that these people want to take things away from me for things that other people have done. Other people in different countries, like in New uh, Zealand. <laughs> other people in different countries. Or the U.S. is like, how, like, this doesn't happen in Canada very often. Like, I wonder if that's because there's other variables at hand that are just... Can't be. Can't be. Forward. Stop it. No, it's a, it's an inanimate object that does things. It possesses you, basically. No, well, like, was, this there is... Was this, uh, there was the two-shooter incident in Colorado uh, this week. Uh, ended after uh, one death because the people attacked them mm-hmm. didn't get anywhere. It got uh, took down one person, but because of the actions of the uh, reactions of, uh, yep. of people who were being shot at, uh, it stopped very quickly. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm, what really pisses me off about these um, gosh darn idiots is the, 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 I'm getting so tired of saying this, Adriel, especially since I'm preaching to the choir, but the gun laws don't prevent criminals from committing crimes with guns. If it did, we wouldn't have criminals. They wouldn't, they wouldn't call themselves criminals or we wouldn't have to call them criminals. They're already using guns. They're not supposed to have, they're already using guns illegally smuggled into the country. If you take my guns away it prevents me from having guns, but they already have guns. They're not supposed to. So taking my guns away is not going to do anything to prevent them from doing what they're doing. They're already not supposed to do it. One more law is not going to suddenly make them wake up, smell the coffee and go, Oh geez, I better stop this. Oh, I got to find this quote. There's a quote from someone um, in support of a ban that says, 
we can't we can't do anything to stop the influx of illegal firearms so we have to look at legal firearms owners I, I, yep I would yep that's fire. right we have to be seen to be doing something we can't stop the the criminals so let's stop the law-abiding yeah it's all about the um perception they need to be seen to be doing something I, I read a I read an interesting analogy uh, yesterday as well on this where you've got a house and you've got one really bad neighbor always throwing like really loud crazy parties and making a bunch of noise and then uh, and then the next day after there's a bunch of garbage on your lawn and beer bottles everywhere you call the cops on your good neighbor to the <laughs> to the side and you never confront the bad neighbor who's actually uh, throwing these wild crazy parties it feels like like that's a, a good analogy for for what we're facing right now where they're they're still going after legal gun owners and they're readily emitting with like no uh not even hiding it anymore not hiding the hypocrisy of uh this isn't going to do what we want what we want it to do i'm looking up um a, a news story that i saw yesterday surrey council wants to make it illegal to drive with are you ready for this an illegal handgun yeah an illegal firearm. Yeah, did they get the memo, memo that that's already like you can make it double illegal if you want? Here it is. That's neat. Surrey MLA seeks to make it illegal to drive with unlawfully possessed firearm. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We should make it illegal to kill people with baseball bats. No, wait, killing is already illegal, so we're covered, right? That's how that works. Double this, illegal. Yeah. Got to double up. How? Stupid are you? Surrey Cloverdale Liberal MLA Marvin Hunt, huh, ironic last name, expected to introduce his private members, members bill Wednesday afternoon. He wants to make it illegal to drive a vehicle with an unlawfully possessed firearm. You're not supposed to drive with an unlawfully possessed firearm. You're not supposed to walk with an unlawfully possessed firearm. If you are in possession of a firearm without a license, it is by definition an unlawfully possessed firearm. And it does not matter if you're driving, walking, running, skiing, biking, swimming. You, sir, are a moron. And you do not deserve to be in a position of authority or power or hold any political office at any level. I wouldn't let you walk a dog at the SPCA. You're an idiot and may get the dog run over. I think like some of these municipalities just have too much time on their hands. Like here in Edmonton, I, the, you know, our city council worries about like snow shovel, like keeping the snow off the streets. <laughs> that's like, that's a major problem here in Edmonton, fixing the potholes that are, are horrible springs put on us and then <laughs> keeping the snow off the streets in the winter. They don't have time to, to worry about virtue signaling about, uh, double banning handguns and this kind of yeah. thing <laughs> what's next is my razor gonna my razor company gonna tell me being um you know masculine is toxic wait wait no they did that anyway let's move on i can't smash the go button anymore i'm gonna lose my mind you haven't watched any of the cbc the nationals I, recently have you either. i just look i brought up the video the rural urban gun control divide mm -hmm. these people are also freaking idiots the guns that are the problem in the rural or in the urban areas are being used by criminals. It's not a rural urban gun control divide. We have gun control. Criminals don't obey the law. The criminals are in the city because that's where the opportunities for criminals are.
So you don't have a gun problem, you have a criminal problem. Do something about your socioeconomic it's situation. Criminal, there's criminal issues in both the, the rural and urban. I sure, think it, sure. It, it, but, the, you know, there's not a lot of gangs running around in Jack River, New Brunswick, okay? There's people stealing four-wheelers and gasoline, and they're not uh, wearing colors and carrying Glock 17s while they're doing it. No. They might have, like, a an old wrapped-up cooey uh, or something like that. They don't even. They don't even. They just, it's, uh, they don't. Anyway. All right, let's jump into our main topic. Uh, well, it's time for our main topic, and because this is episode 303, uh, we've invited on a special guest, a YouTube uh, a YouTuber, who goes by the channel name Bloke on the Range, and his Facebook is also called Bloke on the Range. Um, but I guess we're friends now because he revealed his real name to us. It's Mike. So, Mike, welcome to Slamfire Radio. Hi, glad to be here. Uh, thank you for coming on. I mentioned a couple episodes back that I was trying to touch base with you to have you come on just to talk about, you know, uh, your channel and your focus. Uh, I discovered your channel through researching um, Lee Enfields. And I've got to say, I've learned a lot. The most useful or entertaining, both, both useful and entertaining videos that I've seen are some of your myth-busting um videos especially the ones about headspace are very entertaining we'll actually we'll talk about headspace in a little while here maybe but uh it was uh it's i also really like the well i'll read your bio and the listeners will understand why i've invited you on so if you go to bloke on the range's facebook page the bio says firearms history bloke explaining firearms mechanics myth busting shooting sports and oh i forgot already mike uh you'll have to correct me if i mess it up kitschy nope i did it wrong kitschy Kitchy. there we go kitschy sketches all in one place an open dry and sarcastic look at whatever takes blokes or chaps fancy in the world of guns and shooting all right who's chap um he is my best mate other than my missus mm-hmm. um i met him in a gun shop randomly in holland mm-hmm um and uh we used to work for the same employer there and oh. uh i hit it off and ended up by partly by coincidence uh moving to switzerland at about the same time and uh, i borrowed his crappy old camera i had a burning desire to make the first two videos on bloke on the range uh one about uh m1 get get i can never pronounce that right m1 garens and uh wiley enfield are fast and uh, it kind of snowballed from there slowly. Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the things that you you started doing really early on that I noticed was um, proficiency in those in those World War II era rifles. That's something that uh, you see a lot of people rev- like shoot them, but you don't see a lot of people getting really proficient in their use, being able to load them on the clock, being able to to fire them really accurately using the equipment that they come with. And that's something that uh, that you've. Uh, really specialized on your channel. At least that's the one of the things that's how I found you as well is, is uh, uh, M1 grand shooting videos and uh, Lee Enfield, I think mad minutes Did you, have you done? Some oh yeah. That yeah. Oh, I've yeah. Done quite, a, quite a bunch of mad minutes. Yeah. Mm. Um, so before the, we go on, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the other, the other person who's, uh, who's doing this sort of uh, proficiency stuff and he's uh, far more serious about it uh, from a historical perspective than me is of course, Rob of British muzzle loaders mm. who is working his way through uh, as much of the training materials and official qualification practices as possible. I mean, he's in Western Canada and he has the great outdoors uh, to to go and brass up. I unfortunately don't here. 
we uh, we have to shoot on official ranges and uh, so i can't just set out a target at 500 yards and uh, dress up in a kilt yeah he does a he does a fantastic job he's got that classic western canadian accent not like your uh, very much unlike your new york accent uh, which <laughs> which is where we were going to go to next um what district of new york am i from uh, queens definitely i would say <laughs> it's uh, a yeah, queens yeah, right he's got that queens type uh Hot so island long uh, maybe the bronx so why don't you uh mike why don't you tell the listeners where you're originally from since they can tell that you're not quebecois ah well um i'm originally from the south of the uk okay i'll just put it as a generalization i grew up within about 25 minutes drive of bisley mm-hmm. as in the uh the mecca of british serious shooting long-range yeah. shooting was well, yeah not just british the commonwealth everybody considers a feather in their cap when they get to go to any kind of shoot or competition in Bisley. Mm, I mean, hallowed turf. Yes, definitely. Actually, uh, I I took an Australian who was a shooter who was working at the the school my mother worked at, um, sort of gap year thing or something. Um, And he was an Australian shooter and he'd heard of Fulton's and he almost wanted to take his shoes off at the door. And I just walked in because it was something I did all the time. Right. Uh, and I just walked in with him. And he was like, can I, can I walk in? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a job. <laughs> but it's Fulton's. Yeah, oh, that's um, awesome. So anyway, sorry. That's the first massive bloke on the range tangent already. Um, so my father taught at a school um, which had a cadet corps and had a 25-yard small ball range. And uh, I at first fired a real gun when I was 10 on that range and it was a Leonfield number eight. And then when I went to the school, um, I'd done quite well age 10. So I was uh, immediately invited to come and join the shooting team. And it, uh, it started from there. Um, so during the sort of winter and spring, I'd shoot small bore prone on this range, mostly with number eights. And then in the, in the summer we'd shoot Commonwealth style target rifle at Bisley. And uh, I think the most heavy season, we were doing th- two or three sessions a week at Bisley, getting pretty serious. Um, and then when I was 18, I actually came to Canada. Really? I shot the, uh, I shot the uh, Canadian Cadet um, Skill at Arms meeting and the DCRA meeting. In, in Ontario? Yep. Connaught Ranges, Connaught, just outside yeah. Ottawa. Wow. Um, so I did that. That's the... Uh, was my first Canadian experience. I uh, came back the next year to work as a range officer at the DCRA meeting, which was good. And that funded a trip to Western Canada to go uh, go do some uh, walking up around Banff and so on. Um, and then other shooting was in parallel to that serious Commonwealth target shooting. I joined another club that used the range at school um, on a, I think it was a Monday evening. And they were quite Millsurp focused particularly Lee Enfields, and, and there were a couple of guys there who were very, very, very serious collectors. Uh, one of them even has a P-13. That's how P-13. serious it is. Yep. P-13? Yep. The two seven six. The two seven six trials rifle. Wow. Hmm. He never let me fire that one, but I've seen him fire it. Huh. Didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, every uh, I, I'd like to say everyone's heard of the P-14, but... There was a time when I didn't hadn't had never heard of the P fourteen, so I don't I won't make that statement. But that's interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. Huh? I didn't know that was a thing that like a civilian would have. 
like okay yeah trials rifles i'm i'm, I'm sure they have them in, in some museum somewhere but yeah. for i just uh, have it and well they surplus them off they sold uh -huh. them off um and i i happened to see um a rack of five of them in the rotunda at woolwich arsenal that hadn't been sold off and the the, uh, the museum there was uh, was sort of selling off certain parts of its collection and really didn't understand what it had. Um, but he had, but Ian had a this 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 guy was called he's called Ian. Um, it's not forgotten weapons, Ian, of course. Um, he had a P thirteen. He had a P thirteen converted to a P fourteen, um, wow. and he had basically practically one of everything. I mean, really impressive collection. Wow. Um, so I went shooting with them and then uh, continued doing that. It drove, uh, it drove the shooting coach mad that I was interested in shooting things other than pure target rifle. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, when you're interested in something and you've got the opportunity to pursue it, you pursue it. Absolutely. So um, we know how you got involved and, and you've done a lot of target rifle. Uh, we can clearly see that by your videos. You've, you're wearing the... Um, the proper equipment so it, it shows your target rifle background um what else have you focused on there was interest in other disciplines as well what else have you done over the years um i did quite a lot of ipsc yeah in holland um oh yeah i moved to holland after graduating from university mm -hmm. part of which was uh, a greater ability to pursue my sport shall we say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what division uh, did you shoot in ipsic well better question what discipline did you shoot did you shoot rifle or did you shoot handgun both both okay and, and what divisions did you shoot shotgun i i started out yeah <laughs> uh, in fact i first shot ipsc back in 97 in the uk which was shotgun because mm -hmm. that's pretty much all there was at the time because it was uh mm. just literally just after the handgun ban mm -hmm. um so i did an ipsc shotgun course down in the west country back in 97 and then that sort of went aside until I got involved in IPSC handgun initially in the Netherlands. And I started out, I, in the Netherlands, when you're a sports shooter, you could, when you first get your license, this is how it was back then. It's even stricter now. You could buy one gun. You could have one gun in your first year of having a license. Once you've done that year, you could have up to five. Um, how generous. Yeah. Very, very generous of them. They were quite generous on what you could have, but you could only have five of them at any one time. Now it's stricter, and you have to go through a series of starting with 22 and then working your way up. Um, so I did my basic course with a Pardini GT9 6-inch, which I foolishly bought thinking, oh, I'll get a 6-inch. Oh, mm. uh, it doesn't fit the standard box. Mm, I better mount a red dot on the slide. Yep. <laughs> this was, this was got nowhere else to go now. Yeah, this was extremely foolish. I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I then ended up uh, training that in for a SIG P226, mm -hmm. which I still have. Uh, so I shot production for a bit. Um, decided that yeah, it wasn't necessarily for me. And uh, switched to revolver division. And I had my most success in revolver, actually. Now, um, is that because you were the only one in the division? You'd say that, but um, there was <laughs> one every time. There was there was one competition I went and shot in Germany. In fact, it was my best performance in a competition. Um, 
was in Germany. I was the only one in Revolver Division, and even though I tuned it, they they let me shoot in production rather than kicking me to open or standard yeah. or whatever. It was it's fine. Yeah. Um, and I didn't shoot anything outside of Charlie all day. Oh wow! I was really happy. It was probably because I was pressure off because I was the only revolver shooter, so I could really focus on just shooting and not mm -hmm. worrying about the other guys. Mm -hmm. um, so that was fun shooting forty-five ACP major, being scored minor in production, and I <sighs> still scored. I still beat about a third of the auto shooters or something. Nice, which was uh, fun. And and then rifle. When I started doing that there, um, I actually started that with an SLR, L1A1, mm -hmm. which is quite fun. Did my basic course with that. Uh, had an original AR-10 for a while. Wow. Shot, shot that. Um, actually shot a level three in Denmark with that as well. Which was Level fun. three rifle match. Wow. Um, Such a thing has never occurred in Canada. I'm sure. We're having um, our first level three shotgun match in Ipswich, Canada's history in September. Oh, wow. Big, big focus on handgun. There's there's three gun in the country recently, but as far as Ipswich, Ipswich has been dominated for decades just by handgun. Yeah. Like mm. your, was, your shotgun rifle, nothing. Nothing. It was, it was the same in the Netherlands. It was very, very handgun dominated. And then people got started on rifle. And then uh, shotgun was more difficult to get going because of legal issues with getting shotguns. And there was a massive fallout with the um, the clay pigeon shooters. And a little little aside, the uh, the Dutch equivalent of the DCRA. Um, okay. They worked themselves into a position where they were sort of the the people who could approve shooting disciplines for which you could acquire guns. And they didn't like practical shotgun. So um, they actually banned lead shot for clay pigeon shooting until someone pointed out to them that the Olympic rules require the use of lead <laughs> shot. So then they had to exempt the Olympic team. Oh, wow. Oh, oh. Bit, of a, bit of a nightmare. So there's a lot of uh, the, the guys that have managed to convince their police forces to let them have a, um, a pump or semi shotgun, um, share the guns around a lot and, uh, and things like that. But it's the circuit is mostly handgun dominated. There's far more ranges you can do it on. Um, rifle you really need at, at least a 50 meter bay but which we, we'd run a we'd run a pretty comprehensive level two on one of the better ranges at a 100 meter bay a 50 meter bay and a 25 meter bay and we'd use them all so we could get nine stages in eight or nine wow. stages shot in a We're, day and it's bloody it loud like, it seems like such a waste to shoot a rifle at, at, at 100 in and not at least have one stage where you're going out to three 400 meters well, sometimes they put in some slightly more challenging targets, like a four-inch clay mm -hmm. pigeon or so. Um, but you'd be amazed the number of people that will drop down to a bipod to shoot a full-size IPSC classic target at 100. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, know what's, you know what's funny, Mike, is um, sometimes we get a little bit of constructive criticism from our listeners that we talk too much about Ipsic. Here we are trying to have a Milserp episode with a Milserp YouTuber, and we're talking about Ipsic. And, and an Ipsic that you can't even get in Canada. Ipsic rifle doesn't even exist here. Well, it does, right. but I'll dovetail, it back in. I'll dovetail it back in for you nicely. Uh, you know my Franken rifle, my Australian International Arms. Yeah. Um, I shot that twice in semi-auto open. In semi-auto open? Well, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, you've had the experience of both shooting and seeing other people shoot Ipsic rifle matches with Lee Enfields. So what has that been like? Well, I, I was the only one. I've, the only person I've seen shoot 
an Ipswich match with a Lee, with a Lee Enfield type action is me. Ah. Um, because in the everyone's shooting semi autos. Yep. And in the the rule book of the day, you could shoot a uh, a manual action in semi auto because it was just said it, there was just no no restriction on the action. Oh right, um, and now we have a manual action division in there, both the shotgun and rifle discipline. There, there was a manual action division. Okay. And and there was a limitation on on the type of action, but it halved your round count. So why bother to shoot in uh, the, the the I was the only person idiotic enough to do it. Um, so it was fun. 20, 10 and twenty round detachable magazines. Um, the the close the close up close and personal run and gun ones. Middle fingering it. Um, uh, it's always a uh, always fun to do that when you turn up on you turn up on the range for a 40 round minimum course and uh you load and make ready and the range officer clicks that you've got a bolt action and he's like what <laughs> and they make a joke about yeah we're going to be here for a while and then uh and then the, then and then the beeper goes off and you and you're middle fingering it um with a red dot and uh you're you, you you're almost keeping you're almost keeping up I mean, it's, it's, it's always a truism in IPSC shooting is you can't miss fast enough to win. And a lot of the semi-auto shooters, they miss very, very fast. They, they sure do, yeah. And frequently. And, and very, yeah. very frequently. So, um, Mike, can, we, can you touch upon, for the listeners who may not be familiar with the term middle fingering it, as a Lee Enfield owner, I've middle fingered. Uh, I know what it means. But uh, you want to explain what that means? Basically, it means um, hanging on to the bolt handle between forefinger and thumb and pressing the trigger with the middle finger. You can go very, very fast. And I've got a video where I'm doing literally just this standing up, and I'm down below 0.7 splits on a, wow. a full-size Ipsic cool. target at, at all of 10 meters. But um, you, can get, you can get your splits down well below a second in, uh, in aimed up-close and personal uh, fire. Because, I mean... Yeah, to bring it on to Millsurps, everyone forgets the bit between proper shooting, proper conventional shooting, and the bayonet. And there's this forgotten zone of you can't reach him with the bayonet, but you're not you're not doing proper sort of positional shooting. And the middle fingering technique is that sort of is that sort of gap filler. So it's uh, the middle finger technique is for CQB, basically. Yeah, and uh, we it was officially taught in the second world war for that. And I did a couple of videos with Rob on second world war CQB technique. The first video focusing on the early war hip shooting technique. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second video on the late war middle fingering technique. And it was brilliant fun. Yeah, if you haven't that, watched that, you should. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out that it was actually a technique that was taught to the troops. Yep, absolutely. Mm. And one thing we're uh, one technique we were talking about just a little bit earlier uh, was hold under and uh, and battle zeros. I think uh, one of the things that I've I've heard of is this idea of a six o'clock hold with rifle. Now with I don't really I didn't really see the point of it for the longest time because uh, your your hold under uh, is going to vary based on the distance and it's not something that could be reliable. So I prefer to have the target right on the flat of of the uh, uh, of the irons, but in a recent video, you were shooting an SKS, and I think it was at 300, and you set your your rear sight to 400, mm -hmm. so you could aim lower, and your sights weren't obscuring the target. Yep, and that so, I finally got. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's such long range, you can't even see the stupid thing if you're covering half of it with your sights, 
that's why you'd want to do a six o'clock zero. Yep, and uh, it was, it is actually part of the the Russian or the Soviet now Russian uh, battle doctrine because the rearmost setting on an SKS or an AK is four hundred meters, give or take. I need to absolutely confirm this to be one hundred percent sure, but they t they taught what was called a belt buckle hold, where you aim where the opponent's belt buckle is. And with the sight set to 400, you'll be hitting your group. Your group will be centered on the belt buckle at 400. At 300, it's going to be about a foot high, which is still a good center of mass hold. And basically anywhere up to a bit beyond 400 meters, you've, you've got a point blank zero that is, at, that is uh, good enough for government work. <laughs> and the, the Swiss K31 rifles from 300 back are set that way. They're set for 30 centimeters high at 300, 40 centimeters high at 400, 50 centimeters high at 500, all the way back, which is partly a sop to the target shooters because um, six clock holders has a massive advantage on a target range where you're always shooting at the same aiming mark. Mm -hmm. um, but it does make a degree of sense when you think about it because at 300 meters already a man-sized target is getting kind of hard to see and if you're obscuring half of what you're trying to see with your front sight blade you're not seeing as much of it um and of the two targets we use we've got the uh the standard issf um aiming mark black aiming mark and then we've got this nasty uh figure target that represents more or less a prone rifleman and it's dark green on a sort of splinter pattern camouflage background and okay I'm approaching 40 now and the accommodation in my eyes is, uh, well, I'm starting to see the issues, but if I try and aim at the center of that target, I'm struggling hmm. and you get optical effects over the top of your front sight and all that. And it just gets very hard to aim at. It's a hard, it's a hard target to aim at anyway, even if you are balancing it on top of the post. Um, but it certainly, it's, it's a technique. It's not for everybody. But it has a lot of merit. And interestingly, um, the proponent of it is Carl of Inrange. Really? I was discussing this uh, with him a few weeks back. And uh, he uh, he was telling me that he is also a six clock hold proponent. And question, with an iron-sighted pistol, where do you like your point of aim with respect to your point of impact? Now, I, I don't do the six clock. I want the front sight to cover you know, the X of the 10 ring, not, mm -hmm. not below it. And I want this point of aim point of impact to be the same. And I, if I have a, a, a pistol with an adjustable rear sight, I will adjust my sights accordingly so that mm -hmm. whatever distance I zero the pistol at it's point of aim point of impact for the bullseye. So okay. when you say that Trevor though, like your front sight, you're, you're running a fiber optic sight. Do you want the dot on, do you want the dot to be the bullet hole? That's or right. if, if this is the X, do you want, right on top of the uh the fiber my sight picture will be the fiber or front sight covering the center of the x-ring and that's where i want the bullets to impact hmm. interest interesting i mean it's partly from my from my pure target shooting background but um with adjustable sights i'll adjust the type of target i'm shooting at because mm -hmm. our precision targets um it's an eight inch well, 20 centimeter aiming mark so with, with my sport pistol i'll adjust it to be underneath in any other circumstance, I really want my my point of impact to be about two inches over the top of my front sight 
at 25 meters. So when I'm shooting ISSF dueling, which is a great big dustbin lid, black dustbin lid with, uh, well, I can still see the rings if I focus on the foresight and there's a couple of horizontal bars to help you aim. I don't want to be holding my sights exactly in the middle there. I wanna, I wanna be holding it at the bottom of the X ring on that particular target. Basically, I, I, want, I want there to be a little bit of light between where my sights are and where my bullets hit. Hmm. But that's probably just a personal preference. I well, don't want exactly. I don't want to cover half of it. I want to just see what I'm aiming at, just over the top of the sight. Personal preference to a point, and then I believe in certain games there would be an advantage to that sight picture over other games. Is that fair? Yeah, probably. But yeah. with IPSC as well, I like. I like. I would use to set my revolver size. I, I put a um, uh, a gold bead on. Big fan of the gold bead. Um, and I wanted that for a long shot at sort of twenty five yards or so. I, I wanted this two inches over. I, I just feel comfortable with it. And then for for up close and personal, I just put that big gold bead in the middle of the in the middle of the rear notch, and and it'll go close enough for government work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like. I don't know, say a half inch over top of my sight. So when my sights return back to zero, I can kind of see where it is, but very, very close to that front sight. This is something but, that uh, I'm going to have to go back and revisit. I shot a match on Sunday with a pistol I had not shot in a match before and only shot one other time. Hadn't really zeroed it um, and paid the price on a stage. There were three steel mini poppers at 25 yards and Ooh. I was shooting high right. It took three magazines in 30 seconds. Um, We've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. I did a, I think it was a, a level three, my first level three with my P226. And we had poppers, poppers out at 25 meters. And I really hadn't got my trigger control nailed under pressure. And we're shooting in an awkward position. And like, three magazines of brassing up the backstop later i'd managed to get them over yeah trigger troll is fine i was told by the people behind me who weren't coaching thanks guys <laughs> that uh <laughs> and they weren't supposed to so it's fine uh, i shot the most beautiful tight group on the berm right to the high right on on all of them and then after a while i was just like okay i've got to change where i'm holding and held is lower that on the used, trevor no that was a brand new uh, one mm-hmm. of my t- tenfold glue witnesses so Anyway, well, let's um, let's move on to um, the next topic I'd like to talk about with you, Mike, and that is you left the UK, and from what I gather from your YouTube channel, you've um, been in a couple of countries since then. Why don't we mm-hmm. touch upon those countries and what your experience has been with the regulations um, in those different countries and what your focus has main, has been in those countries. So after the UK, where did you go next? I went to the Netherlands. Okay. And then we know you did some IPSC there. Target yep. rifle as well. Um, I actually shot the equivalent of target rifle all of 100 meters because it's all in, indoor ranges um, with a free-floated H-bar AR-15. Oh, wow. With a set of target sights on it. Hmm. Which um, was quite, uh, quite fun and compared and- to shooting factory ammo out of anything else i was dominating them which was always satisfying absolutely <laughs> domination satisfaction are two of my favorite words um what uh, where to after the netherlands switzerland okay and that's where you, and that's where you call uh, home now yeah 
All right. Yeah. So what are the firearm regulations like in Switzerland? So the listeners can kind of compare and contrast between Switzerland and Canada. Um, let's talk about things like licensing, registration, caliber restrictions, magazine capacity. Let's let's touch on those which, and start wherever you like. Okay. Um, basically, it depends on your legal status here. If you've got the equivalent of, I don't know what it is, permanent residency in... Uh, I mean, in the UK, it's permanent leave to remain. So, right, we call it permanent citizenship. Well, there's permanent resident and then there's citizenship. Yeah, right. A permanent so, resident is someone who is uh, immigrated and citizen. Right? Or am I confusing those two, Adriel? Permanent resident is someone who is legally born? here and okay, legally here. Is and is, is here is the resident? Born. And typically, what you'll do is you'll be here for three years and then you're qualified to uh, apply for citizenship. Oh, okay. blimey! Here, here it's five years minimum to get permanent residency and then another five years before you can apply for citizenship. Yeah. Canada is pretty open. Mm. So it's not bad. Uh, okay. So depending on your, on your level or definition of, the, of current so, citizenship, that will determine what you can own. Uh, no, it, uh, sort of, uh, everything's okay. based around acquisition here. Okay. Um, which is quite different to the UK and Germany and the Netherlands where there's acquisition and, and possession are regulated kind of separately. Um, so if you've got permanent residency or a citizen, you have an absolute right to own firearms. Really? Provided, no. provided you have a clean record. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, Reasonable. there's three categories of firearms, basically, or four categories. Um, the simplest one is antiques. If you're over 18, you can have them. There's no registration. There's no nothing. Now, what defines an antique? Pre eighteen seventy, okay, and that's it. Doesn't matter about uh, type of firearm, shotgun, pistol, rifle, or caliber. If it's pre eighteen, what? Eighteen seventy. Eighteen seventy. It's considered an antique. It's yep. pretty old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, that's that's pretty strict. In the Netherlands, it was a lot more uh, a lot more liberal. Um, I mean, stuff chambered for black powder firearms and not nitro proofed up to it's either the outbreak of the Second World War or the end of the Second World War. Um, were free, uh, which put the price up massively. Mm, of course. Um, so then the next level up, you've got hunting rifles, target rifles, Swiss military bolt action rifles. Uh, you don't need any particular permit or anything to acquire them. Uh, the person selling has to check you're not a prohibited person. So you can either show them a criminal record declaration or a higher level gun permit less than two years old. There's, 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 a, there's a series of things like hunting permit, things like that. Um, uh, what else is in that? Uh, rabbit killers and single shot black powder pistols are in there as well. Um, that is registered by the seller sending a copy of the sale contract. You have to make a you have to make a formal contract with certain information on it. And all that happens is that the seller sell, sends a copy of that to your police force and it goes in there. Incredibly Swiss cheese-like whole fields database. Yeah, sounds like it's sending over to the to the police. You know, what, what's interesting is this is very different. There, there's a couple of memes like floating around Canada where in Switzerland, uh, uh, you everyone gets to, everyone goes to the military and everyone gets their gun for free afterwards. That's the that's the uh, myth over here. Um, it's you have there are certain conditions 
linked to that. You have to have shot uh, the the Feldschießen and the uh, obligatory shooting a certain number of times in a, the years running up to you leaving the service. And you have to have done a certain number of years of service, and you have to get a far, uh, an acquisition permit, which is the next level up um, in uh, uh, in the licensing system. Now, you have an absolute right to this if you have a clear record. Um, it's, so it's just a paper chase. Uh, you have to send off for an acquisition permit, which allows you to buy up to three guns from the same seller at the same time. And that's basically anything that's not a full auto or a down conversion from full auto and that doesn't fall into the lower freer category. And currently, there's no magazine restrictions. There's no caliber restrictions. Um, there's it's a bit it's like slightly silly but for instance a remington 700 in 308 depending on what sort of stock it's in it's either in the category where you need an acquisition permit or it's in the freely available category it's basically it's, does it does it fit in the hunting or sport shooting rules it's well, it's the same gun but anyway. i mean that might sound silly but we've uh, I, I promise you we've got sillier in canada because we can't do a bullpup stock as an add-on to a rifle, but if it comes with a bullpup, that's okay. Well, hey, yeah. yeah. Well, every every system of firearms law has its exactly. bizarre, illogical things in it. Let's, mm -hmm. let's not let's not beat about the bush here. Yeah. Even the most sensible, in inverted commas, one has silliness hanging around in it. Um. So yeah, currently no magazine restrictions. If I will mention the referendum briefly, if the referendum goes against us, we are going to have some silliness with magazine restrictions which will put buying a gun with buying a rifle with them sorry buying a semi-auto rifle with a magazine over 10 shots puts it into an even higher category but buying it with a 10 shot magazine puts it in the category we just discussed the acquisition permit um it's this horrible fudge that the eu is foisting on switzerland and that's as far as i want to take this horrible discussion because it's politics and we'll see what happens with the referendum and if we lose it we will uh, adapt and overcome and if we win well hey yeah then you're done Fantastic. what yeah. where do you where do you handguns fall in, into what category they caught they fall into that acquisition permit category okay very so good it's basically everything that, that doesn't that everything that isn't a or in a lower category or isn't a down conversion from full auto or isn't a full auto. Hmm. And, so... and and uh, this is an important point is that the uh, uh, the demilitarized Swiss service rifles, Stungwehr 57s and Stungwehr 90s, uh, they don't count as down conversions even though they are down conversions. So you can buy them on a, currently, you mm -hmm. can buy them on an acquisition permit. Hmm. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, it seems like there's a, a really strong... Uh, rifle heritage there, uh, especially with Milserps and that kind of thing. You've got a, a couple of Lee Enfields. This is our 303 mm -hmm. show. So uh, uh, which versions of the Lee Enfield do you have? Um, I've got two number one Mark three stars. I've got a number four Mark one star long branch. And I've got a number four Mark two in uh, service rifle B setup. So the, uh, the 303 era target rifle setup. And uh, that well, both of my two number fours shoot brilliantly. I must say, but the um, the the centre bedded service rifle B one with uh, with target sights on it is 
is just awesome. It can it can almost keep up with my K31. Wow. With target size. Let's put it that way. So um, some of the things on your channel that you focus on with regards to uh, Enfields are some of the myths that uh, mm-hmm. seem to have come up with the birth. They seem to have been born with the internet. Would you agree? Oh, some of them come from come from coffee table books and uh, gun magazines from before the internet. They're, they're recycled. It's amazing that some of them are actually they seem to be recycled from the the the, the pre World War One era, the, from the P thirteen program era. Wow. Um, that that it was sort of the 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 anti SMLE propaganda from from the Bisley School of Thought back in the day, trying to get the army to adopt a Mauser actioned rifle. Uh, based on the Boer War experience, and this gets recycled through books, through magazines, and now the internet—it's—it it just keeps getting recycled. But because it's the internet, we can literally put these to the test and put it on YouTube and show what is true, what isn't true, what's got a grain of truth to it, and why. Okay, so and I find that fascinating because I like busting myths. Well, let me throw a myth at you, and then you can bust it. How's that sound? Uh-huh. Lee Enfields have a excessive headspace problem. And you can um, pretty much not reload the brass more than once, and then it cracks due to the excessive headspace. Myth or fact? Myth. Massive All right. Myth. Why? Why is it a massive, massive myth? The Sami headspace gauge, the Sami no-go gauge, is three thou too short. <laughs> All right then. Um, the Commonwealth no-go gauge is seventy-four thou. The Sami okay. no-go gauge is seventy-one thou. Wow. So, according to, to to the headspace obsessives uh, down below your border, there, yeah, um, they could take a factory new rifle, and it would gauge out. Yep. Um, simply because all the headspace check at the factory does is 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 see, are we before proof or possibly even after proof? Are we between sixty four thousand and seventy four thousand? And three tenths of that is outside the Sami gauge. So, so all these rifles are being checked with a Sammy gauge, which is technically out of spec. And so people yeah. are running around thinking that their Enfield is now um, has excessive headspace and is dangerous yeah. and kittens will die if you fire it. Yeah. And and to be honest, people who think that, that the difference between a rifle shooting like a freaking laser beam and it being a bomb that's going to go off in your hands is like one thou of headspace. They need to take themselves out back and give themselves a good talking to, frankly. Um, <laughs> you'd be amazed. I mean, you're, we, over, over here, we don't obsess about that at all. If I, went in, if I went into a gun shop and said, hey, here's my 98K, can you check the headspace for me? They'd be, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, an over, like I've, I've never checked the headspace on, on any Milsurf that I've bought, and it's, uh, I've just shot it. Now, some of them, uh, like the uh, Lee Enfields that I've had, when you reload them, the cases, you do get case head separation on them, uh, at least with the ones I've shot. But, uh, but that's with full-length resizing as well, and you don't really need to do that. No, I mean, I've never had that. But, but to be honest, if you want brass life, you've picked the wrong caliber because the, mm-hmm. the chambers are cut deliberately loose so that, so that the ammunition can be covered in cacks and still chamber and fire. Exactly. Which is one of... Okay, let's just not beat about the bush here. Rimless ammunition overall is clearly superior in practically every way, shape, or form. But there are certain areas where rimmed has certain advantages, one of which is that you can have a massive tolerance on the chamber. 
which is interesting, the reason why the Russians adopted it, because they were not convinced of their um, industry's um, ability to create well-tolerance chambers back in the day. Mm -hmm. And by having rimmed, your critical dimension isn't in the chamber. And frankly, you can you can have a massive cavernous chamber and it will still shoot safely. Because it's head spacing off the what? Off the rim. Wow. <laughs> and even if it does Science. go massively over headspace, the further advantage of, uh, of rimmed is that the case head is massive compared to rimless because you're not cutting into it. Mm -hmm. I, it's one of these videos I'm going to do probably with a tin hat on because I'm going to get hate in the comments. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about, talk about the elephant in the room that gets totally missed in all this obsession about headspace is it the, the safety thing, the critical thing is not headspace, it's case head support. That you can you you can create Bubba is perfectly capable of rebarreling a rifle that's on that that's tight on the go gauge, the minimum headspace, and will blow up at the first shot. Because he worked on the wrong thing. Because he worked on the wrong thing, because he, he cut too much clearance at the back end of the barrel. So if the case head's unsupported, boom. Yep. All right. So that was some excellent uh, bloke explaining. Now, if you could bloke explain one more thing for the listeners, uh, what is stocking up? That term, we hear the term stocking up with regards to Lien fields. And what does it mean and what effect does it have on the rifle's accuracy? Stocking up is the single biggest contributor to rifle accuracy on any rifle, particularly Millsurps, where there's some contact by necessity. Basically, barrels that light firing cartridges that heavy, and this goes for all of the uh, the 30 cal and up Millsurps, um, they typically don't shoot well free-floated because the barrel's too whippy. Uh, the vibrations as the bullet's going down it are too, are too much for it to handle. So it's damped in certain ways. And um, going back into the 19th century, you'd have the barrel laid out in the barrel channel in contact all the way down um, because that's what they did. That's what they did in muzzle loaders. That was carried over. Um, the people who really cracked this was, uh, uh, was your Southern cousins. They, they're the ones that cracked the stocking up problem. Um, we were fiddling around us Brits with uh, with SMLEs with with like two springs in the stocking up system and contact here but not here and tight here and blah nonsense. The the Americans got it right by having the barrel clear forward of the chamber until the front end of the stock where there's a muzzle bearing that applies up pressure. Um, and this is in the Springfield 1903. And that's in the 1903. Yeah. And that was copied directly in the P13 P14 and that appears in the number four. Because that is the way to make that sort of lightish barrel shoot straight and, uh, and minimize the effect, the influences of, uh, of warping of the stock. Um, so is it safe to say or fair to say or accurate that when someone sporterizes Lee Enfield, when Bubba decides to chop all the wood off, that he is in fact making the rifle less accurate? Yes. In almost 100% of cases. Now, if if the stock is horribly warped and is applying side pressure or down pressure or whatever, yes, free-floating will improve it over that. I mean, free-floating is better than bad stocking up. But good stocking up is better than everything. 
Right. Now, is there any advantage to um, betting the, the action area, the receiver area in uh, Enfield stock? As a purist, I'd say that's bubberizing. Um, okay. But if you don't mind that, then yes, there is. There is. Okay. So you have a rifle that's already been taken, like my long branch we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Someone already drilled the side of the receiver. I've already refinished it with parkerizing. It has lost all collector value. Oh, yeah, Would, fill your boots. Do what you like. Well, only if it's going to improve accuracy. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm not going to do it for the sake of doing it. So would 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 um, betting this receiver help with accuracy? It would depend on the condition of the receiver, because if it's bedded well around the receiver already straight to the wood, you're unlikely to make much of an improvement. It's sort of one of those really sort of cost-benefit analysis. What's the probability of me screwing it up? Hmm. I mean, if there's a if there's a suspicion, like... If the if the wood's heavily compacted or something, yeah. See, then yeah, I don't, sure. yeah, I don't have enough experience to look at it at an Enfield stock and and know whether or not you know it's what you just said. So, mm-hmm. uh, I will have to I'll have to shoot it for groups, see how it groups, and then uh, little and little then an- just... little anecdote on the on this point. I mean, a lot of people seem to believe that free floating improves in all cases. Mm. Um, well. If that were the case, they would all have been free floated from the factory because that's far easier to set up. You don't need to, you don't need to faff around. I mean, the, 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 practically the only bit of skilled workmanship in a number four is the stocking up of the forehead. They've managed to engineer practically all the rest out of it so that it could just be put together assembled. by by spanner spanner wielders. They they were assembled rather than gunsmithed, mm-hmm. except the forehead, which was fitted by by experts. That's the only true gunsmithing in it, really. Um, Okay, so the uh, those listening on the podcast won't won't see it, but Trevor is uh, showing that his uh, his nozzle pressure is good. But to free float, you can just have a big hole in the end of the stock. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And if that was better, which it isn't, they would have just done that because it's far easier. And then and then the entire rifle could have just been assembled by someone given a couple of days training on uh, on how to do up, a, do up the screws in the right order. Mm-hmm. What a tremendous amount of uh, common sense. It really is. It really is mansplaining, or as you call it, bloke-splaining, to just <laughs> explain something using basic common sense terms. Well, gee, guys, if free-floating actually helped, it would have been free-floated already. I mean, gee. <laughs> I think part of, the, part of this comes from, A, heavier-barreled sporters, which will shoot better free-floated compared to having contact somewhere. There shouldn't be contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and AR-15s and things like that, which are very, very easy to free float. And actually have even the lightest pencil barrel on an AR-15 is pretty stiff, and you're not because you've got a small hole down it, and you're not putting a particularly taxing cartridge down it with 223. So um, let's talk about one more myth um, before we wrap this up, because we've gone a, a, a little long here, but uh, I'm sure no one's going to complain because it's a very interesting change of pace. Um, why why are North Americans convinced that um, it doesn't matter how you stack your rounds of ammunition to the magazine? Rim jam is an inevitability. Um, because they've been using commercial ammunition that doesn't have radius rims. What? Um, what? What? Commercial ammo isn't made the same as, say, Mark 7? 
funny that (laughs) (laughs) wow so the problem is commercial newly manufactured commercial ammo and not the gun or the clip well i mean it's it's one of those things that this this whole rim gem thing had entirely missed the notice of the british army the canadian army the australian army the indian army a large number of other armies it is not in the training manuals because it's basically not a thing with with military spec ammunition undamaged fresh military spec ammunition say that again undamaged fresh military spec wow it's like it's uh, it's uh it's like yeah out of spec ammo does not behave as intended and i got a little little extra video out where i've got some uh 1950s kynock 3006 which is short and uh, under under recoil in my M1917 um, gives feed jams because it moves forward and then mm-hmm. the stack won't come up. Right. Oh my God, there's something wrong with this system. It won't feed this out of spec ammunition. <laughs> nope, not a problem. Feeds fine. Feeds fine yeah. within spec ammunition. Fine exactly. Yeah. Well, Mike, um, that was fascinating. And there's so many things that we touched upon that could have been their own topic, but there's only so much time. Um, promise me you'll come back on sometime in the future. That, that'd be great. Um, I'm a guy once Mike that, you know, if a gun had wood on it, I had no use for it. But, uh, as Mm. I've been telling people recently as a, as a grown ass adult, I, I reserve the right to grow and develop as an individual and my taste can mature and develop and change over time. And that's what's happening. There was a time when I said I wouldn't own a 1911 or an SKS and now I have multiples of each. So (laughs) I reserve the right to grow and develop and mature as a gun owner. And uh, this stuff now fascinates me. And um, I always love picking the brain of those who uh, are in the know. And uh, you are certainly that guy. And uh, I thank you very much for coming on. I'm looking forward to having you on again. Well, thank you for inviting me. I hope it's been interesting to your, uh, to your listeners. Very much. And it's, uh, it's, it's probably past your bedtime over there at this point in time because you're five hours ahead of us. So we will, uh, we will say goodnight. And... Um, yeah, we'll stay where, in touch. Where, where can people uh, find yourself? Oh, find thank Mike? you, Adriel. Ah, uh, yes. Um, if you search for Bloke on the Range on YouTube or on Facebook or on Patreon, more importantly, you guys Absolutely. must have Patreon. People. Of course we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on Patreon. You're on Patreon. Um, it's uh, the best way to support content creators you like is to uh, support them on Patreon. And, uh, yeah, um, awesome. I'm easily findable just by uh, just by searching. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, literally just put bloke, bloke on the range in the Google machine and all of your social media will come up. And it's definitely, if you're into Millsurps and Enfields and enjoy myth busting and mansplaining, this is definitely the channel for you. So I highly encourage our listeners to check you out. Oh, well, thank you very much for the plug. And uh, yes, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks again to Mike, or uh, as I like to call him, Bloke on the Range, for coming on and um, helping to expand our knowledge base of uh, Lee Enfield rifles and Milsurp stuff and holdovers and unders and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, really interesting guy, eh, Adriel? Yeah, Switzerland law. We, got on, we went down all sorts of rabbit holes there. Typical. And he hadn't listened yet, and I'm glad he didn't, because chances are, had he, he wouldn't have come on. So... <laughs> Um, I'm glad that uh, he never got around. I told him that Ian 
was on um, from Forgotten Weapons, but not to take his word for anything, because what does he know about stuff and things? So um, you got to watch the video where Ian and uh, Mike are sitting in a hotel room. I think maybe they're at a match or something somewhere. I think it's a hotel room. My God, it could be the man's house. I don't know. Anyway, they're sitting in a room uh, drinking scotch, and uh, they're picking on, actually, uh, they pick on one of Captain Andy and I's favorite, uh, uh, call it economy scotches. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I thought it was uh, interesting. They're drinking scotch, talking scotch, and talking guns, and dealing with a lot of myths. And... Um, Look, I've yet to see a bad bloke on the range video. All you're always going to learn something. Where, you know, if if we were to, if you wanted to get some really uh, pervasive myths broken, those are the two guys about Milsterps. Those are the two guys I'd want in the room, hands down, hands down. It's like having uh, um, Ben Stoger and Eric Rafael talking about action shooting myths. It's literally that good. So um, thanks again. Let's jump into our listener um, feedback. We'll start with the YouTube version. I'm looking to see if there's any actual questions, not comments. Um, oh, Andrew Darcy wanted to know what year Mike came over for the DCRA. I believe it was when he was in university in the late 90s because he's just turning 40. So it would have been late 90s, early 2000s if I uh, followed that correct correctly. Uh, oh, filthy. This is, again, a comment that's worth reading. He's going to have to listen to tomorrow because he's off to visit the Machine Gun Museum. So, filthy, go puke in your helmet. Mark wants to know if we're going to discuss Tony Clement's question in uh, in those comments, and we did. Uh, Simon Boom said, any opinions on Tony Clement's question? Um, today about the OIC ban over the summer months. So uh, Tracy said, and I quote, we're not in code red yet. We're standing by to uh, get, you know. What are you going to do anyways? Let's say he does do a, uh, an order in council. What are you going to do? Nothing. You got to vote well, um, in, in, in the fall. Yeah, well, I'll still I'll still write or go visit my uh, my um member of parliament they're going to get voted out but yeah like, no that's what i'll do i'll go tell them like pack your bags or if you know i will i will I'll go see him and say do you need help to pack like i'll drive to ottawa and i'll help you because you're a pretty decent guy so he just chose the wrong side <laughs> um timbit said the screen keeps going gray well that's when mike was talking yeah he didn't have a webcam set up that wasn't just some random like UK sounding guy. It was the real guy. We promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's it for um, uh, comments off of YouTube. We'll move into our regular listener feedback now, which is um, brought to us by uh, where did it go? I literally just you put it in the wrong place. You copied and pasted yeah. the listener email into. Okay. Uh, so our listener feedback is brought to us, sponsored by Armory DC Gunsmith. Armory DC Gunsmith is a full service gunsmith who specializes in taking Trevor's money on a weekly and monthly basis. My screen just moved because you're copying and pasting. I could have moved up to where that stuff was. Get out of the notes. You're in timeout. Sit down. Don't touch your keyboard. Stop it. Someone's got right. to work around here. I'm trying. He offers hot bluing, parkerizing, and Cerakote finishes, as well as wood refinishing. Check out his online inventory of new and used guns, firearms, accessories, optics, and more at www.dcgunsmith.ca. You can also follow Armory DC Gunsmith on Facebook and on Instagram. And um, if you do call, write, or uh, whatever, make sure you give the new guy a hard time. He's good people, but give him a hard time. 
All right, Adriel, how would you like to take the first one, please? From Jason. Hello, lady and gents. And yes, that includes Trevor. Mm. Everyone, everyone picks on you in every single email. They always every single email. They Congrats on making it to episode 303. This is a favorite round for me as I learned to shoot firearms in the Royal Canadian Air Cadets with a Mark IV. Also, a shout out to the 543 Wingham, Wingham Valiance Squadron. I recently picked up a sporterized wartime Australian Mark III Enfield with the intent of getting this, uh, getting into this great platform again. With the cost of commercial ammo being so high for this round, I will be reloading a lot using a manual Lee loader and casting my own 180 grain pure lead 311 bullets at .311. I'm curious to know your recommendations for great plinking and hunting loads and what type of powder you would recommend. I currently have some Hodgdon uh, 414. Also, any general reloading recommendations for someone just starting out in reloading modern ammo? If time allows, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how to make the rifle, or any rifle that matter, even more accurate for long-range shooting beyond 100 yards. Thanks for the input, and cheers on another milestone in Canadian firearms podcasting. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right, where do, where do we want to start? You want to work backwards or what? To a bloke on the range and like go watch them. I'm sure he's got some videos on this. In yeah. terms of lead ones, I don't know if I'd do pure lead. If I, Ideally, you want a little bit of tin and antimony in there to harden it yeah, up. Yeah. Pure yeah, lead would be sure. way too soft. And yep. if you're going to get them real cooking, you might want to gas check them as well. You're going to gas check them anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you can really do a, a rifle bullet that's going 2,000 plus feet per second without um, a gas check. So oh. I would... You can't. No. You can go slower. So, you can go yeah. Slower. So do like a thousand feet second, and then not run a gas check. Mm. Um, I was gonna go with Varget, um, because I've got a lot of it, and uh, now that I say that, I'm gonna double check the Hodgson website to make sure Varget is listed here as um as a recommended powder for uh, 303. But as far as casting, yep, cast. Don't do pure lead. No, you need to have an, it's got to be an alloy. It's got to be a mixture of lead and, and tin and whatever else is in there. And um, old wheel weights. Yeah, just melt down old wheel weights. Yeah, old you wheel weights has tin and antimony in it, so it's a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, curious to know your recommendation for great planking and hunting loads. Yeah, so I've yet to actually reload the, the, um, that particular caliber uh captain andy's loaded uh, a fair amount of 303 um so i will be starting by picking his brain to get uh, some info i've already started to prep brass and of course i've gone ridiculous with uniform ring primer pockets and uh, deburring and flash holes and stuff like that so 303 british let's see here bullet weight we're going 180 nice and heavy and we'll go with any powder and let's see what we get any get data you got you're specifically on a lead bullet uh no it just gives you um the weight of the bullet so right now i just want to see if i'm talking to my butt here with regards to um so i see 414 on there cf223 varget there varget is a load there is a powder that they recommend and it gives you a velocity of 2282 feet per second so that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with um, with Bargett. As I said, oh, there's also eight IMR4064, which is a powder that I use for 223 and 30.6. IMR4895, another popular one. H335, another popular one. H4895, 
IMR331. These are all powders that I've worked with and are quite popular. So um, any... I would, I would want a little bit of a faster one. Like the 3031 sounds about right. 4064 is a little bit slower than 3031. Fargate mm -hmm. uh, is a little bit medium speed as well. So I would I would go with something faster just because you can. You're not going to run it up to the, the max velocity yeah. power anyways because it's lead. Mm -hmm. So I would just go with something that's cheap and uh, easy to reload for. So any general reloading recommendations for someone just starting out? Yes. Um, subscribe to uh, the ultimate reloader.com YouTube page. Get your hands, uh, get your hands on a copy of the ABCs of reloading. Um, do lots of research. Um, only use published data in books like Spear, Lyman, um, Hodgdon. You know, only uh, don't get a recipe from somebody that, uh, you know, just, just use published data because you never know. Uh, you don't want them to get lost in translation. Um, get good equipment, you know, buy once, cry once. I was um, helping uh, a Mini-Me re reload 45 the night before the match and his priming system on his Lee load all or pro 1000 or whatever the high quote unquote high end Lee progressive loader is the primer system was foobard. So I was hand priming using the biggest abortion of a Lee hand primer that I've ever seen. And it took three times longer than it should have, because I was constantly having to clear stoppages in the hand primer and stuff like that. Like just don't buy junk, man. You'll spend more time trying to make it work than you will working on your ammo. So um, gets, you know, if you've never used any of your reloading equipment and you can get a buddy to come over and show you how to do it, how, you know, a couple of teaching sessions, some mentoring, some tutoring, whatever, just don't go at it yourself. Right. Cause you maybe you don't know what you don't know and you could be inadvertently making mistakes without realizing it. So try and get some, some help and make sure you do lots of reading and research. Uh, if, if time allows, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how to make a rifle or any rifle for that matter, even more accurate for long, long range shooting beyond 100. Free so, float, of course. Yeah. Free float. All of your mill serps, the wood they put on them was unnecessary. And it was more just like back then the wood was there for when you were beating a Nazi in the face and stuff. It was just made it easier to hold the gum when it got covered in Nazi blood. So that's why the wood is there. So it's, first thing, tear all that wood off. Um, and then back too. Yes. Cause that'll stiffen it. So that's important. Don't worry about the crown, whatever you get with the hacksaw is fine. Uh, all right. Now, Phaedra would all right, stop it. Stop it. And a laser. Stop it. So, um, if, if for any rifle for that matter, well, what you do to a modern rifle is not what you do to a Milserp, right? So, uh, if it's a modern rifle, yeah, do things like free float the barrel, bed the action, um, use quality scope mounting hardware, like a good, uh, rail, good rings. Don't buy cheap rings Buy you know, good quality loophole rings, uh, buy good glass, buy a good loophole scope or a vortex scope. You, you don't, the, the, you can, a, a bad scope, sorry, a good scope will make a bad rifle shoot better, but a bad scope won't do anything for a good rifle. Don't skimp on the glass. And don't skimp on the quality of the ammunition. The better you, like, you know, um, garbage in, garbage out. If you if you start off with good stuff and put good ammo in it and get good glass and mount it correctly and mount it with good hardware, 
all of these things will help that rifle shoot better out past out past 100. Um, if you're reloading, I, I get ridiculous about my brass prep. So you could, you know, uh, sort your cases based on head stamp, then sort them based on internal volume, how much water they hold, make them all hold the same amount of volume or sort them so that they all hold the same amount of volume. Keep it to the 303. Like he's reloading for a 303 though, a Lee Enfield. Yeah, well, well, that's fine. You could do that with your Lee Enfield. You could sort your cases based on volume. You could deburr the flat. Don't full length resize. I think that's the that's the number one thing I would look for for this because if you full length resize it, you, it resize it, and you have generous headspace on it, you will only get two or three okay through it. Well, he's not going to get he's yeah. It's not that he has generous headspace; it's that it's a loose chamber so that it's meant to feed military ammo in less than ideal conditions. Um, I know guys have uh, annealed their three hundred three brass to make it last longer. So there's two schools of thought. One says full length resize and trim every time. One says don't trim or don't full length resize, fire form it and then trim it. There's a couple of different things you can do there, but we beat the head, we beat the excessive headspace thing to death. And uh, yeah, just, just yeah. watch your overall length. Make sure that the brass doesn't stretch beyond the max and keep it trimmed where it's supposed to be. So, and then just prep the brass accordingly. Deburr, chamfer, uniform primer pockets, uniform flash holes, all that stuff. But you're going to chase the dragon, man. At the end of the day, it's an Enfield, and you go do all this work and still shoot four inches. So I know Bolivar tried to squeeze every bit of accuracy out of an Enfield forever, but at the end of the day, it's still a Millsurp, it's still an Enf Enfield, um, and the acceptable. It's, it's a battle rifle. The acceptable measure of accuracy then for that platform is not what we get today out of modern firearms. And you will never get it to shoot like a modern firearm. If you get a four inch group, call it good. Move on. Don't try and mm -hmm. don't try and make it better because it's it does it can't get better. Well it's not so, what it was it wasn't made for anything more than that. It was made to be man man target uh, accurate at three hundred max, kind of a thing, and it's fast. It's it's one of the fastest actions you can get for uh, for a bolt action. Right. I'll disagree with the three hundred comment. They had to qualify at greater distances than that, but so I wouldn't call the three hundred the max. But the same at the same time, to reliably shoot at a man-sized target and hit it, right? So, oh yeah, and they can, but they had to qualify at distances like six hundred. Yeah. That's yeah. You got to watch the Canadian guy who's got a YouTube channel um, from out west about the Enfield. So amazingly accurate, like the historical context and explanations, and and doing drills that they did. And it's just it's a phenomenal channel. Bloke on the range is good if you just want specific Enfield information, though. Um, what did he say his name was? Bob? I can't remember. Uh, British muzzleloader. That's it. British yeah. muzzleloader channel. Yeah. So. All right, let's uh, move on to the one from Spencer. Spencer says, hey, guys, now that the 300 hoopla is over, I figured I'd get back to my real job, dissing Trevor whenever possible. Or not. I have to admit, I liked his choice of the, C of the new CZP-10F, although I'm surprised it worked for him with his tiny little hands. I tried it out at, the ra at a rental range, and that thing is massive. I have a large frame. I have large frame Glocks that I can fill. That I can that I can fill the grip on better. Well, 
I, I don't think it's as big as a large frame Glock, like a 10 mil or a 45, but it's huge. It's huge. When you, when you put it in your hand, it's sticking out from the bottom. The length of the grip, yes, is long, but that doesn't mean the circumference is huge. No, you can't, it's not like a, it's not like a double stack 45 size no. grip on a Glock. It's not. I bought the P10 Tactical when it came out about a year ago, and I sent along a picture of the Glock 17 overlaying it. The C model is supposedly equivalent to the Glock 19, but it almost matches the 17 in grip length. That's true. The, the C is an, is, is an uppercase C, not a lowercase C. Of course, part of that is the extended magazine, but it's still a pretty large gun for a compact model, and the F model makes it look petite. To continue Trevor bashing, I find it hard to believe that he didn't donate his 1022s to Kelly for Maple Seed, and that he not only did I not donate them, I haven't shipped them yet, so eat a bowl of Peters, and that he took her <laughs> took her hard earned money and spent it on a marine shotgun for the boat he doesn't have, and which and which can Canadian law won't let him use to defend, even if he did. <laughs> for shame, sir. For shame. Oh, I like it, Spencer. Whatever, man. <laughs> I'm take I'm taking this thing sailing with me when I go with Captain Andy. And uh there may be pirates in the Bredore Lakes. And if there are, we will be ready. That's about it for now. I'd buy a cool new toy about a week. I bought uh I did buy a cool new toy about a week back, but haven't had a chance to even test fire it. So I'll save that for a different email. Best wishes, Spencer. If you would like to send a dissing email, you could do so by sending it to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Uh shout outs. I want to shout out everyone in Kingston who um showed up and took took note and was heard. Good job, everyone. Thank you for, for standing up for your rights, doing something for yourselves and for gun owners. That was awesome of you. Adriel, what do you got? Still another one for Rick for flying out to Edmonton in on purpose. crappy weather on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Just so that we could shoot some maple seed and get a CRPS shoot done here and uh, try to kickstart start some of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, speaking of flying out, um, did uh, we didn't mention an upcoming event? I don't know if we did or not. Um, uh, my flight got canceled. My trip to the CCFR AGM got canceled. You got something better to do? No, I don't. Well, I have something equally awesome to do, and I'm going to get to see some some awesome friends that I would have missed out on. So I'm not I'm not sad because like I'm trading one amazing gun family for another amazing gun family, so it's all good. But um, yeah, I was supposed to go to the AGM. But work denied my leave, uh, even though, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's long story I don't need to get into, but I was work denied my leave, so I can't go. It really sucks. But uh, that means that I will be here for the Maple Seed, and I will be here for the fourth annual Ronnie DeGroote Memorial Steel Challenge. So I, I don't know if we talked about this in upcoming events, did we? No? Yes, I covered the Ronnie. You covered it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Good. So I didn't cover how you're going to try to beat my maple seed score, but you're going to do that, right? No, I'll be setting up the steel challenge while uh, people are maple seeding. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to do the work. Yep. Um, not to mention the fact that I'm at work that day, so I won't even be on the range while they're doing maple seeding. I'll be on the range that evening putting the final touches on the steel challenge. So um patreon supporters we have a new one this week bear smith and 
He sponsored us for 303 British. How timely. Thank you, Bear. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, uh, you could do so by going to patreon.com forward slash slamfire radio. If you've not received your patch or whatever else you're entitled to get, uh, harass Adriel and he will get right on that and uh, and send it out to you. In this week, so I will put two letters in the mail. Awesome. There's a few other ways you can support us listeners. You can um, show us some support by visiting our website and then clicking on the links for Cabela's. So you're going to Cabela's anyway, just stop on by and go to Cabela's through our website. And when you do that, it's tracked and we get a little bit of a kickback for your purchase. So um, you know, you're going to Cabela's anyway, just do it through Slamfire Radio. We would really appreciate it. It helps the show helps us. Please join one or more of our national firearms associations, such as the CCFR. Check us out on Gun Owners of Canada and give us a like on Facebook. We are up to 2,126 likes. We must have passed the library that Jewel worked at by now. I hope so. Oh, God. If we didn't, I'm going to go visit the library. And... The library, like, we don't do the comparison with the library anymore because we, we've been beating them silly. Yeah, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, it's important to beat those things down. Next, food banks. <laughs> or an orphanage. <gasps> Perfect. Well, if they were, or if they don't have any friends, they don't have any likes. If they did, they wouldn't be orphans. I'm going to hell. Do they even call them, or I don't think I can find an, well, oh yeah, there are orphanages. Cool. Okay. I'll they find still call them that? The, the number of likes that we have so we can compare how we're doing with them. Perfect. Right on. All right. Well, good night, everybody. We will see you next week at 304. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.